Good morning. I, I don't know if you were paying attention to that first song. The last line was, sorrow, sorrow will depart. And I'm pretty sure Casey meant me, not Lane. Okay, so. So I was cleaning out my office recently, moving out after a long time. And this meant going through hundreds of carefully kept files. I took notes about everything. Real tangible files, not digital ones on a server out in Utah or someplace. And so going through the files was a blessed experience, seeing all the things that have been done here through these years. But I have to admit, it was also disappointing because I saw evidence of all the things that I meant to do, planned to do, wanted to do, but didn't. Now, no matter how old you are, I think you know the difference between something you finished and something you didn't finish, and know now you never are going to. As I looked at the files, I asked myself, what made the difference? Why did I sometimes overcome distractions and obstacles and finish something, but other times my good ideas were not turned into reality? Why do you sometimes leave things as good intentions? How do you answer that question? What's the difference for you? Please don't let me preach a sermon only on willpower. That would be a mistake. But one of the reasons things weren't done was lack of resolve. Lack of resolve. I wasn't resolute. In fact, I found myself irresolute. And this morning, we are going to read about Jesus being resolute. And then we are going to read about three people who had to react to this resolute Jesus. And I hope that we, as a church, can gain some spiritual insight through the message. So turn, if you would, in your order of worship to Luke chapter 9. We'll read verses 51 to the end of the first paragraph. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire? Do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Lord. So we read, the time approached. That means a short time re remained, and this made Jesus resolute. That means he wasn't going to waste time. He was focused and not going to be distracted. He was, going, he was not going to procrastinate. Being resolute is a special attitude toward time. And then we read, the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven. And so Jesus was going to leave this world, and he knew it. And this made Jesus resolute. As the end approached, Jesus could see clearly. He could see what was lasting and what was most important and what was most valuable. He was ambitious for the greater treasure and not going to be satisfied with lesser things. Because being resolute is a special attitude towards what's valuable. And last we read, 
The time approached for him to be taken up into heaven. Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. This means that he knew where he needed to be, and he wasn't going to be anywhere else. To, good, to do God's will, which was to pass through the cross, he had to be in Jerusalem. Nowhere else would do. You see, Jesus was going to deliver the world from its bondage. He was going to heal the world from its corruption. He was going to enlighten our dark ignorance. And to reach this goal of strong salvation, he had to go to Jerusalem. Being resolute is a special attitude toward the goal of your journey. And so that's our picture of being resolute. A new attitude to the time we have been given, a new attitude to what's lasting and valuable and important, a clarity about the goal. And we should this morning be very thankful that Jesus was resolute. Now, to get to the goal of Jerusalem, the quickest way is to go through Samaria. But Jesus is not made welcome there. And we are told the reason is because he was on his way to Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, of course, were a lot like the Jews in their religion. But they thought that the proper place to worship was on a different mountain and not Mount Zion. A picture for us, it's not perfect, but it's how we might feel keeping a Muslim guest on the Hajj going to Mecca. We'd be very aware of our religious difference, though I hope we would offer hospitality. But Jesus had been warmly received other times in Samaria. There's a great story in John chapter 4. However, that time he was going north and not to Jerusalem. This lack of welcome made two of his disciples really angry. And in their zeal, they wanted to call down judgment on the Samaritans. Like the destruction that God poured out once on the prophets of Baal in the time of Elijah. But the resolute Jesus rebukes the disciples instead. The time for judgment had not yet come. And I am afraid, I suspect, that the disciples' anger was a mixture of zeal for their own honor as well as for the honor of God. So the principle is to await the day of real judgment when righteousness is brought by the only all-seeing and all-knowing judge. Even though the reason the Samaritans refused Jesus' hospitality was the very goal of his mission, still Jesus refused to punish them. Instead, it says they went on to a different village. The Samaritans had no idea that Jesus was on the way to save even them. And there is a lesson here for the church in our secular and contentious age. When we encounter friction with society, which we must, especially when it is friction because of the very nature of our mission to proclaim Jesus as the only Savior of the world, let us be, let us be resolute in awaiting the day. We don't judge them in our angry zeal. They don't understand that we are hoping to save them. Especially, we are resolute in not being angry for our own honor and pretending it is for God's. The anger of people very rarely works the righteousness of God. So that's an outline of Christ being resolute. 
towards limited time and what's true of value and the real goal. And there he is rebuking the impatient judgment of his disciples. And now, so being resolute is not the same as being condemning, okay? Please, let's be straight on that. Now we come to three people who have to react to the resolute Jesus. This is a very hard passage for me. Let me read verses 57 through 72. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Dear ones, this also is the word of the Lord. You can do better than that. This also is the word of the Lord. There you go. Let's have the courage this morning to hear the words of Jesus and try to understand them. As they go along their way, they encounter a first man. He says to resolute Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Have you ever said this to Jesus in prayer and in earnest? It seems to me to be a good desire, a good ambition. It seems to me the very nature of being a disciple of Christ. Being where Jesus is, wherever that is, and doing what Jesus is doing, whatever that is. The alternative would be, it's helpful sometimes to think of the alternative. The alternative would be, I'll come with you sometimes, and then we fill in the sometimes, like a prenuptial agreement. I'll come when it makes sense to me. I'll come as long as it isn't too inconvenient or uncomfortable. I'll come when it's not too uncertain and insecure. In fact, friends, what all these boil down to is I'll follow you as long as it is what I wanted to do in the first place anyway. But I think this guy meant what he said. Not perfectly. He didn't know the full cost of discipleship, of course. No one ever does. And resolute Jesus answers him. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You see, the time is approaching. Jesus is about to leave this world. Jesus doesn't say to him, don't follow me. He was saying, if you are coming, you need to come now. I give you no promise of security or stability. It is verses such as this that have made the church at various times teach about apostolic poverty. People like the Franciscan friars think that following Jesus means having to give up all ownership of things. Now, this morning I stand here and I do not dispute that resolute Jesus can still ask that of some of his followers. 
But this morning, I think this is more for you about giving up the need for security and stability. The time is now because one thing I have learned is even a long life is very, very short. When you follow resolute Jesus, you do not tell him where he is going, where he is leading, what the conditions will be like. There is no prenuptial agreement that he will accept. And then Jesus invites another to follow him. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And to this man, resolute Jesus replies, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Then Jesus makes the same invitation to another, and this man says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And to this, resolute Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Did you notice that the words that both men say in common are, first, let me go. First, let me go. First, let me go bury my father. First, let me go say goodbye to my family. The lesson to learn is that to resolute Jesus, are you listening? To resolute Jesus first, when you say first, you have to be speaking of him. He is first in value and importance. Jesus thought fathers were important, but even this precious relationship is not the first. Time is short. If you are coming, you need to come now. No relationship, no relationship, whatever relationship you're thinking about, no relationship compares in value. And you do not want to tell resolute Jesus that you need to turn back before you can follow. Because he would say to you, Jerusalem is this way. That is our goal. He is not going to wait. He is not going to turn aside. He is not going to lie about who he thinks is most important. Yes, Jesus is kind and gentle, and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He has grace and compassion, and I testify, testify before you that I have found him tender and caring. But he is also resolute. None of his father's will is going to be left a good intention. And if we are going to be with him, really be with him, we must get used to our master's resolve. He doesn't fool around. Time is too short. The stakes are too high. The goal is in a very particular direction. So, here's why so many of my files didn't go anywhere, didn't bear any fruit. I thought I had more time. I got confused about what was most important and lasting. And I wanted to go other places as well as the final goal. And now, Dear Trinity, you are about to write a new chapter in your life together. Is your good intention and ambition to follow Jesus wherever he goes? If so, I warn you, you are dealing with the resolute Jesus. The highest value is not your personal peace and affluence. The time you have been given is right now, 
in this place under these circumstances. The goal remains Jerusalem. For us, that is to know Christ. And as St. Paul wrote, I must think this is important because I'm losing my breath. As St. Paul wrote, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And you are meant to proclaim the kingdom of God. This means that comprehensive gospel of our actions as well as our words. It means showing an alternative community to the society around us. And all in a posture of love for God and love for our neighbors. Not condemning them. That's not our job. But awaiting the day. Here's how Pope Francis put it recently. The church's closeness to Jesus is part of our common journey. Communion and mission are profoundly interconnected. In fidelity to the example of the Master, it is vitally important for the church today to go forth and preach the gospel to all, to all places, on all occasions, without hesitation, reluctance, or fear. The joy of the gospel is for all people. No one can be excluded. And so, dear ones, let me finish by praying words that have come to mean a great deal to me. But they're still a real prayer. Please pray with me. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.